Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. You guys are a lively bunch, so I think I have my hands full. Is that okay? You guys are like, I don't know, nine o'clock's a little bit quieter, but you guys are like out of the gate. You're loud, and that's good, okay? What a great time of worship, amen? You're going to want to open your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. We're uh, three chapters into a series. My name is Pastor David Kloos, one of the pastors here. It's just a pleasure to be able to teach you. I believe that God has a message for all of us this morning, and uh, my goal is to send you out here knowing that God loves you, and I know that's such a catchphrase that God loves you, and everybody says God loves you, but God truly loves you. In fact, I've titled this teaching, God So Loved, and I, and I believe that God so loved everybody. The problem with man is that we put ourselves in this conditional boat where God only loves us when, or God only loves us sometimes. And I think there's practical balance in that. But I also want you to know that if you're visiting here for the first time, God knows your name and God loves you right where you are. Amen. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I've had you turn to John chapter 3. Let's read the first verse as we move on here. There's a lot to cover today, and I'm going to take you probably to verse 21 if I can get there. Um, but chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling Council. Now, I want to stop there. You probably want to just kind of underline two things, Pharisee and Nicodemus. We're going to talk a lot about Nicodemus this morning, but I got to bring you up to speed where we're at. Jesus has just started his ministry, and last week, Pastor Ryan taught us this weekend of the very first miracle that Jesus did. You were here. You remember that. You can catch up with us on, on our web. But Jesus has now performed his first ministry, his mini or his first miracle, and the ministry is taking off. In fact, the ministry is taking off so much that now that they know that not only this man is proclaiming to be the Son of God, but now he also has the power to perform miracles. Do you think that if someone came to Sebastian and you were struggling with cancer and you've been to Moffitt and you're taking chemo and they're telling you you're losing your battle, but you have a man who has a gift, who is from God, filled with the Spirit, that he could heal you in the name of Jesus, would you not come? Right? And I think all of us could say, yes, if it's coming from God, we would come and ask God to heal us. This is what is happening to the region, understand. And it's not just like a handful of people because Jesus' ministry has started. It's hundreds and maybe even thousands of people that are coming from the region, understand. The year that this is happening is in 26 AD. 26 AD is when Jesus is known to start his ministry. Now, the book of John was written around 90 AD, okay? And why is that important? Because now let's go back to who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is a man who is, it says in the scriptures, that he is a leader of the Jewish religion, okay? But he's not only a leader, he is a leader that has worked himself up a corporate religious ladder. How many military people do we have? Raise your hands. Everybody, man, women, good. Let's give them a hand for serving our country. I'm speaking to you who served in this country. You all know what fruit salad is? Yeah. So this Nicodemus comes to the scene with a whole lot of fruit salad. 
And not only that, but he's also a religious leader that is well-educated. That's who is here. Now, he's coming from Jerusalem, and he's not coming alone. He's coming with a group of leaders with him. In fact, he is a member of the Sanhedrin. So for you that were in the Navy, it's like Navy SEALs, the elite of the elite. And and there's only 70 men in this group called the Sanhedrin. Now, why did I bring up 26 AD? Because the Sanhedrin were, were very prominent in that region that Jesus was in, and they had established this very tight-knit group, okay? Now, what was the job of uh, Nicodemus? Well, he represented, he, he comes to where Jesus is, and there's thousands of people now. And his job is, is that he represents both religion, the Jewish faith, and leadership for the nation of Israel, so he's kind of on this mission, this, this mission with his other leaders. He's clocked in. He's sent here to do one of two things. One, the Jewish religion understand, believes that the Messiah will come. They understand that there is a Messiah that has been promised through the prophets. And so their mission is to come and fact find what is this Jesus that is stirring up the nation of Israel with his preachings and his teachings. So he's on a fact finding mission, okay? And understand that the group of guys that were sent with him, they had two things that they had they were responsible for. They were responsible for the religious and civil issues that were happening in that region. So perhaps if they deemed that Jesus Christ which we know they did not accept him as Lord and Savior, Son of God, the Messiah, they were to shut his ministry down. You with me? And the reason why, you have to understand, the reason why they were going to shut the ministry down was because it, 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 he was a false prophet. They called him all kinds of things all throughout the book of John. We're going to learn that. That's why we're in this series. And so, so you understand that, G, that Nicodemus is here. But here's what I want to say to you. I believe that God was working on Nicodemus's heart before he even got to this passage where we're going to study and read. I believe that God was moving on his heart, and we're going to see why that is. I believe that even though he was on mission clocked in, I believe that what we're going to read is, is that God was already working on him. And just by a show of hands, we've got a large group here, and at 9 o'clock's growing, praise the Lord. Uh, we might need to send some of you to Saturday night. We just have seats on Saturday night, but we, we'll talk about that later. But in this large group here, just by a show of hands, don't be embarrassed, how many of you heard the gospel immediately and the Holy Spirit came upon you and revealed that it was truth what you were hearing and you gave your life to Jesus Christ immediately when you heard it? Raise your hand. About, okay, okay, a little bit more than last, so I'm looking at about 20. Now, the rest of you, you're either unsaved, and you're, you're supposed to be here today, or you took a while, you took a while to, what is this Christianity? What is this Jesus? And maybe perhaps there's even some people here today where you actually are like, I, I don't really know where I am with Jesus, but I'm here, I want to learn and know and discover and this is where I believe that Nicodemus is. I believe that he's already heard what Jesus was preaching. And now we're going to see in the passage that he is going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jesus. So what you're going to learn this morning is very important. You're going to learn in the teaching how religion and unbelief can hinder 
the free gift of salvation. And this is what we're dealing with all throughout the book of John. You see, there's a difference between religion and relationship. Hear me. It's up on the screen. Maybe you've heard this. There's a difference. Religion is man trying to reach God. Let me stop right there for a minute. Man trying to reach God is this. If I act a certain way, if I'm a good person, if I tithe, if I do all these things, would I become closer to God? I feel good about myself, and I believe I'm closer to God. And that's man trying to reach God. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ, I got saved at 35 years old. I was a wicked sinner. You name it, I did it. I'm not boasting about it, but I want you to know, I believe there are people that are here that are in my camp where God got a hold of you and he changed your heart radically and you just were a different person. And this is what we're going to see, but what I want to say to you is this, and I know this is hard for some that are in that boat where you're trying to reach God, you're trying to do all the right things, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it does not equal salvation. Salvation is a free gift. And what I sense or what I see sometimes when I talk with people is that they're trying so hard to please God. Can I tell you that when God met you in your worst sinful state, he loved you the same way he loves you today. If you're here every day of the week serving in every ministry, giving all your money, it doesn't matter. God loves you the same as he loved you when he cleaned you off the day you came to him. And that's what that means is that religion is man trying to reach God versus you see it, Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. It's the basic, simple gospel of salvation. Man trying to reach God is Jesus plus. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus good behavior. Jesus plus, what is your plus? It's Jesus plus nothing equals the free gift of salvation. And so we're going to see in the life of Nicodemus that he is going to be this guy that is on the fence. Now, there is another Pharisee in the New Testament that we know was high-ranking. He studied under the Greek. He wrote half the New Testament. Does anybody know who that Pharisee was that God got a hold of? Paul. He started out with his name as Saul. He was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to kill Christians. And God got a hold of his heart instantaneously. There was radical change, radical change. And so we see, and it gives us hope when we open this chapter up, that this is God now preparing another Pharisee. But it's going to be much different. That's why I wanted to see who was here, where instantaneously God changed you, and then some of you had to kind of ride on the train for a while and decide if you're going to hop on or hop off. And this is what we see in Nicodemus. Now... I believe, you see a lot, look at verse 2. He came to Jesus when? At night, and he said what? Rabbi, we know, we, him and the leaders, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Notice a lot of things to unpack here I want to take you through. Notice that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Why? I, pre I present to you that understand. 
He was with the other Sanhedrin leaders. He probably rubbed elbows with Jesus at some point when they were there investigating him. He at least had seen him for a while and had opportunities as a leader who had authority over the region where Jesus was preaching. Jesus was a guest in their ruling authority of that region. And so Jesus could have came and had this conversation, or Nicodemus could have came to Jesus and had this conversation, but he didn't. He chose to wait until it was nighttime, and he now approaches Jesus by himself. I'm going to pick on someone on this side. If you're sitting right in the middle of the circle, let me ask you a question. If you wanted to have a one-on-one conversation that made you very vulnerable, would you have it out loud right now in front of 50 people or 60 people on this side of the thing? No. But if you wanted to have a very vulnerable conversation with one person, you would wait for an opportune time at the end of this service, wouldn't you? And this is what we see in Nicodemus. Nicodemus wanted to have this one-on-one, and I think it presents that his heart is now a little bit softer. I heard what you said, Jesus, to the masses, but now I'm coming to you. The second thing I want you to notice from this text is that he calls him a word. It's rabbi. Do you know what rabbi means? means teacher. Wow, you guys are good. I love you, 1045. You can come up here and help me. It means teacher. Notice, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus with respect. He's coming to Jesus and he's saying, I got my fruit salad, but I'm posturing myself and my heart to you, Jesus, that I am going to be your student when I ask you these questions that I'm going to ask you. I think that's huge. The third thing in verse 2 that I think we need to see is that Jesus, or that Nicodemus, has proclaimed that you are doing miracles. Remember, Pastor Ryan taught last week, he turned water to what? Oh my goodness. That was the first miracle. Weddings were huge. Everybody was there. Word traveled. It was a miracle. This man who calls himself the Son of God just did his first miracle. Now, what we see is this leader say, we believe that you are from God because you could perform these miracles. This is important because we see Nicodemus saying, I might jump on Jesus' train, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in private so that I don't get killed, so that I don't get ridiculed, so I don't lose my job and my income and my cushy position. Come on. It's risky, and he's fearful, and yet he comes to Jesus. Write this down. When we share Jesus with unbelievers, expect, be willing, and be prepared to give an answer about our faith. You see, Nicodemus reveals his willingness to believe and accept that Jesus' authority came from God. I want to put you in the shoes of Jesus. I know for a fact that at some point, each and every person here had an opportunity this week to share their faith. And I'm not talking like you're supposed to be an evangelist. You go, well, pastor, that's your job Monday through Friday or Saturday because you don't do anything else. (laughs) But you understand that God has given you doors and God has given you opportunity. Who is depressed around you? What marriage is failing? What addiction do you face? The fields are ripe. The gospel is here. 
and it's now. We've had a heck of a two years, haven't we? If there's never a better time, you don't have to be weird. You just have to go, hey, I notice you're, you're not having a good day. What's going on? You would be surprised what they say. But what, the reason why I have that, and it's back up on the screen, throw that back up there. Be willing, be prepared to give an answer about our faith. How many of you have an unsaved loved one in your family? Yeah, all of us. Do you, can I just take some stress off of you? God may not want to use you to save your family member. Now let me explain what I mean by that. I, my dad does not believe what I'm doing. He just doesn't believe in it. He doesn't understand it. He thinks I'm foolish. He wants to know how I'm supporting my family. He just, it, it, I'm a Jesus freak in Florida. How many of you have a pool in your backyard and your relatives will not come down because you're the Jesus freak in Florida, be honest. All right, I love my Jesus freaks. But here's what I want to say to you. As much as we'd love to get our relatives saved, is it possible that God is not going to use you and me to save our own relatives? You know what we can do on behalf of that? We can be here in Florida praying and God can move up north and plant seeds. Somebody, somewhere, somehow can open that door. Now, do you understand if I switch the role reversal? Perhaps you who are floating around this community of Sebastian and Vero, perhaps there's somebody up north praying that you would get to their relatives. Is that possible? And so when I say look for open doors, I'm just saying be prepared, be willing, be ready. By the way, it is our commission to do that. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't know how to do that. Do you know how I do that? I don't start out with saying, I'm one of the pastors at Calvary Chapel. <laughs> what I start out is, as I go, yeah, that stinks. I look for something that happened to somebody in a parking lot or a drive through or the grocery store, and I go, wow, that stinks, huh? And they go, yeah, what are they thinking? I meet them where they're at. And then God begins to open a door, and you wait for it to happen. I think you can catch more fish by going, here's a net, let me, let me guide you, versus a hammer, let me hit you over the head. You have to do this. Now, there's many ways to evangelize, and I get that, and I respect them all, but this is how God does it through me. What I'm saying to you is we actually see where Nicodemus is now going to come to Jesus. Jesus isn't going to treat him like, I'm Jesus, don't you know who I am? But he's going to treat him delicately. He's going to meet Nicodemus where he's at because Nicodemus is going to have a hard time to understand what is going on here. And let me encourage you. If you are that person that God wants to use today, at the, at, 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 we, we were here, um, pastor came from Melbourne, friends of ours, we went out to dinner at Texas Roadhouse last night, had an incredible steak. But Pastor Mike was here and I challenged the crowd last night. I said, when you go to dinner tonight, if you're going out, ask your waitress how she's doing and if there's anything that we can pray about. He actually did that. Do you know what? That waitress opened up, opened up and literally had a legitimate prayer need and she had tears in her eyes that someone would say, I care about you, not just serve me, serve my table. And I just laughed at Mike, and I was just like, thank you, Mike. Do you see how easy that is? 
And all throughout the Bible, when people encountered Jesus, know this. There were people that heard him, encountered him, and they still walked away from him. Do you remember the one young man that came to him and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Now Jesus knew his heart just like he knows our hearts. And he said to that man, he said, listen, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Do you know why he said it? Because he knew that that man made God or made money more important than God. And he said, you want to inherit the kingdom? Give up your golden idol. Give up what means more than this. Guess what the end result was? He walked away. Jesus didn't chase him. Don't chase people. When you give the gospel presentation, leave it with God. Maybe it's just a seed. Some of you are seeds. Some of you are saved and you're here because people left seeds. One sowed the seed, one watered the seed, and here you are. Praise God. Take the stress off of you. The other thing to understand is when you're witnessing to people and when you're just building a relationship with people, understand that it may take a while for them to get it or to understand it. Don't be frustrated. Just meet them where they're at. Do you remember James, Jesus' brother? Can you imagine this conversation between two brothers? If you're a brother, hey, I'm the son of God. No, you're not. You came from our mother, Mary. You're tripping. And what happened? Later on, much later on, he believed. He says, my brother's the Messiah. What about the centurion? You see it up on the screen. Let's look what it says. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus and saw the earthquake and all that had happened when they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Here's a guard who was posted to make sure that Jesus didn't come down off the cross. Hello, he had three spikes in him. Now, if you send guards to protect him, you must have a half a belief that he could call a legion of angels down and, and they could free him and take him off the cross. And they were sent there to watch him. And I could just imagine this centurion and he's going, I'm hearing what's happening. By the way, this centurion or this guard also saw one of the thieves go, I believe in you. Will, you, will I be in heaven with you? Jesus, like today, you'll be with me in paradise. And by the time Jesus takes his last breath, all of a sudden, the guard goes, you are the son of God. Does that give you hope today, church? Yes. It's in God's timing and in God's way when people get saved. You don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. God saves people, and he saves people through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will work on those people. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep praying, but take the pressure off of you. There's only one Savior. It's not us. And we see Nicodemus here. Look at verse 2. Look what Nicodemus says. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, you know that throughout the book of John and the Gospels that many people came to Jesus and said, hey, you can do miracles. Perform a miracle and I'll believe in you. Would that not be true? But you know what I love about Jesus? If you read all the Gospels, you're going to find out that Jesus oftentimes healed people before they believed in him. 
He would heal them, and then they would believe in him. Or they believed in him, they professed their faith of who he was, and then he healed them. And he healed them in many ways. There was no rhyme or reason, but here is Nicodemus, and I truly believe that Nicodemus was letting Jesus know, hey, you can do miracles. I heard about what you did at the wedding. So Nicodemus comes to him, and he makes his statement, you must be from God because you can perform miracles. So Nicodemus was looking for a physical event. I love what Jesus says. Jesus is going to say to him, you're looking for a physical event, but you need, to have, you need to seek a spiritual event in order to believe in me. Now, like Nicodemus, he didn't understand what that meant. But in order to be born again, you must receive a spiritual renewing. We must receive a spiritual renewing in two places, one our heart and one our minds. The Bible says that we must renew our minds And that only comes through the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that you and I can do. We can't help God save us. We just need to be ready when the Holy Spirit moves and speaks truth to us. Do you know God's speaking truth to you right now? The Holy Spirit is confirming something in your hearts right now. The Holy Spirit speaks truth, and then our job is to simply respond. And what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus is that he needed more than just keeping the law for his soul to be saved because Nicodemus knew how to keep the law. He made himself all the way up that ladder into the Sanhedrin group, the top of the top, the elite of the elite in religious leadership. But he had no spiritual awakening. He couldn't believe. He was a skeptic. And he was sent to shut Jesus down. Look at verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. You see, Nicodemus didn't get it. He was looking for another spirit or physical event to save his soul, a physical rebirth. He's basically mocking Jesus. That's impossible, and I'm an adult male. How do I get born again? But look at how Jesus answers them in verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Now, there's a lot of commentators that will talk about this very verse, underline water and spirit. Because notice that, remember, Jesus just got baptized in water, did he not? And so some commentators go, well, you know, it's part of the baptism, and and that's how you get saved. Church, we know that baptism doesn't save us. What is baptism? Baptism is simply an outward symbol of what's already taken place in our hearts. Jesus got baptized, and he says, now go and be baptized. So if you come to Pastor Ryan's house and us pastors baptize you, it's only that we're proclaiming to the world that you are following Christ. You've invited him in your heart. It's an act of obedience. It doesn't save you. So I have a tendency to kind of look at this passage and say, you know, that's not really about the water baptism. You see, Jesus, knowing that Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was telling him, he he knew that Nicodemus relied on his good works and his religious status to be closer to God. And I believe the reason why Jesus said this was because every person is born once physically, but you must be born a second time, hear me, spiritually in order to inherit heaven and a oneness with God. Have you ever heard this quote before? I have it up on the screen. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. It's, it's a mind twister, isn't it? Some of you are going, wait, let me read that again. Leave it up there on the screen because I want to talk about this. By the way, does anybody know who the author of this, this quote is? Martin Luther. Here's how we came across this. I was researching this. 
This, this verse, how many of you at least heard that saying a couple times in your walk? Okay, all right, yeah. Well, Martin Luther, in 1534, he, he, they found this, his writing in the, in the margin when he was translating the Bible into German, and it was published in 1534, and someone literally came across his writing, and he wrote that in his Bible. And so leave that up there on the screen production. What I want to say is the Bible has a lot to say about life. The Bible has a lot to say about death. The Bible talks a lot about physical life and physical death. The Bible also talks a lot about spiritual life and spiritual death. You see, we all know that we experience physical life when we were born from our mothers. What we don't like to admit is that one day we are going to take our last breath. We don't like it. We don't want to think about it. But every single one of us will take our last breath. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he's like, Nicodemus, you're going to die one day. And if you, want to, if you want to be in the presence of God Almighty, you are going to have to have a spiritual event. We receive physical life when we're born, and we lose it when we die. You see, our physical lives, church, are temporary. When we are born, we are born in the flesh and we are not born in the spirit. Some of you think that when you were born, you're born saved. It's impossible. You were nine months old. You were screaming for your next meal and you wanted to get changed. You didn't know you were a sinner. What's the gospel? Acknowledge you're a sinner. You need saved. You need a savior. God separates from sin. You cannot be born saved. It's impossible. And this is what the scripture is saying. You have to be spiritually born again. Look what Jesus says in verse 6. Look down. I love this. Flesh gives birth to what? But the spirit gives birth to what? You, Nicodemus, should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, then how do we get born of the spirit? I love what Ezekiel says in the Old Testament. Look at this. Maps it out. This is God giving prophecy to Ezekiel. You're going to get it. Moreover, Moreover, I will give you a what? A new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Let me stop right there. You know what a heart of stone is? You have a hardened heart against God. I had a hardened heart against God when I got saved. I thought of the wicked things of the world, the pleasures that the world gave me, and I had a hard heart against God. I didn't want to follow him. I didn't want to believe in him. But see, this spiritual renewal is, and Ezekiel says, I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit where? Within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. You know, that is the gospel message. When Jesus Christ, we invite him in to be our Lord and Savior, he comes in, he changes our hearts, and the Holy Spirit now takes up residence in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us from the inside out. He changes our thinking. He renews our mind in the word of God. It's what we're doing right now. And this is what he's saying. The Holy Spirit gives us new life when we invite him in. We had to surrender our old lives, our old ways, and we had to come to Christ and, and live a new way of life. Many of us in this room have done that or listening to my voice. 
And do you remember when Jesus has already died on the cross, rose again, and went, ascended to heaven, and then Peter goes out and he does the Great Commission. Peter has a conversation, like I've challenged you this week to have a conversation, but he has a conversation with thousands of people, and he's giving them the gospel message, and then they hear it and they go, okay, I'm getting on the Jesus train, I believe this. What must I do to be saved? Look at what he says. Peter says to him, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to go back and remind you what Martin Luther said. Put it on the screen. Follow me. I'll unpack it. Just watch these words. Born once in the flesh, die once in the flesh, Die a second time to the old you. In other words, this David that is standing in front of you is a completely different man than I was at 35 years old. The old David, he's dead. He doesn't even exist. That's your second death. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you've heard this, but you know this. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new man. The old life is gone and the new life has come. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Born twice means we had a physical birth from our mom in the flesh, but we also had a new spiritual birth in the spirit. Die one death, a physical death, but we spiritually live forever. That's what Martin Luther was saying here. Both here, now, and on earth, and then in heaven, we never die ever again. We are with him when we take our last breath. Look at verse 8. I love how Jesus is about to now explain the mystery of the Holy Spirit. So now he's saying, anything that you do, Nicodemus, anything that your Jewish religion has asked you to do, it it just gets turned upside down. Now he's going to talk to Nicodemus about this Holy Spirit. Because now he's got to talk to him and say, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit is. Look, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. When you walked into church this morning or you were out in your yard today, did you feel the wind on your skin? Yeah. Could you see the wind, though? Could you tell the wind which direction to blow and it, and it obeyed your command? What is the evidence of wind? Look out that window, that middle window. Look at the tree leaves. That is the evidence of wind. We can't see the wind, but we see the evidence of wind. Now, I want you to take this to a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes in. You say, well, how do I know if the Holy Spirit comes in? Just write in your Bible by verse 8, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the evidence of the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside you, go to 522 and you will see the evidence of Christ in your life. Now, we may not all have a big bouquet of fruit in every area, but hopefully we can see some fruit from walking with God in our lives. The Bible says that glory to glory, day to day, we conform more to the image of Christ Jesus. It's a process, church. There's never anybody going to be perfect, including me and any other pastor. I'm telling you once again, you don't have perfect pastors. 
and neither are you guys perfect. We're all in the same boat. But because we're here, this isn't just doing church to grow numbers. Who cares? But who God brings to us here, let's grow together. Let's let people see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the one who does the planning of eternal life into our souls. Just as no one can direct the wind, no one can save his own soul. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you can't do anything to save your own soul. You've got to experience a spiritual event. A person cannot become born again by his own works. Man can only become born again by believing in Jesus Christ. And only then at that moment does the Holy Spirit breathe eternal life into the one who believes. Now I love verse 9 through 15. Jesus is going to explain to Nicodemus his heart. And he's going to break it down a little bit more. Look what Nicodemus says about the Holy Spirit. How can this be? Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Do you know what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in this passage? He's saying, Nicodemus, you're a student of the word. You are a teacher. You're high up. You have all the knowledge about the Old Testament. But you have zero faith in your heart. You can have your head full of knowing the Bible, but if you have zero faith in your heart of who I say I am, you'll never inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he's pointing this out to him. Look at verse 11. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But you people, you people, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews, those who know the Messiah was coming and yet still refuses. He's standing in front of them, but they will not accept him. Do you not accept our testimony? Verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and, I, and you do not believe. Then you will not believe if I speak of the heavenly things. No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You see, church, man cannot come to God and tell God how he's going to be saved. <clears throat> we have that problem. God, I'll follow you if. Or maybe we bring God this, I'll do this if. The Bible says no one comes to God except through Christ Jesus. When we come to Christ, we abandon everything in our lives. We don't tell God what to do. And that's the free gift. It's not, okay, I'll do this, but. It's either you believe, receive, and follow, or don't do it at all. There's only one way to come to God. And he's telling Nicodemus, it's not plus. Now, we are entering into the most popular verse, and that is John 3, what? 16. Let me ask you a question. How many verses are in the Bible? Does anybody know? Shout a number out. I don't care. Give a guess. 39,000? Okay, I like that. I'll start there. 31,102 verses. Now, maybe some of you are going, but I read the Amplified translation. Okay, then you got 90,000. <laughs> or maybe you ring King James and you go, well, brother, I think there's 29,000. You get my point. My point is, out of 31,000 verses in the Bible, John 3.16 is the most popular, most known, most favorite, most quoted, most everything. Look on the screen. 
When I first saw this guy wear this, I was like, that's so cool. Do I have any Gator fans? Yeah. Hey, listen, he may not have been the best player, but let me tell you something. He was the best witness for God. God gave him a platform, and he made John 3.16 more popular than any, any of us in this room times a million years. Look at the next picture. And he wasn't just excited about Jesus. He was excited about football, but he made an impact on people that didn't know Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you making an impact on Jesus, for Jesus, in your own way? And this John 3.16 can be heard in every nation, every language known to God. Take a look at this video. For God so loved the world. Porque tanto Dios amó Dios al mundo. Pasque bon Dieu tellement aimé les hommes. Kono yo aishite kudasatta. Il a donné son fils unique. Je sinas feho. Yedno rozaneho. Upang ang sinumang sumampalataya sa kanya. That whosoever believeth in him para que todo el que cree en él no se pierda. Para que todo aquel que en él cree pueda tu condición y pablo. Todo el mundo que va a meter confianción en él. Sino que tenga vida eterna. But have everlasting life. Me quiere la vida eterna. Ayen no inocio. Eres tamirial. John 3:16. See, that's the verse that cannot be argued. People try, but it's simplicity of the gospel. It's why you're here. Maybe you're trying to discover who Jesus is. That's the verse that you cling to. So maybe you're here this morning, and you're saying, great story. But what happened to Nicodemus? Was he saved? Did he receive Jesus in this conversation? You know, the Bible doesn't talk about Nicodemus, this Nick that met Jesus at night, until we see, and it's up on the screen. Look at this verse. We find Nicodemus, this verse, John 19. There you go. We find Nicodemus at the foot of the cross. Joseph of Marathea was accompanied by Nicodemus, who? The man who earlier had visited Jesus when? At night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of mirth and aloes, about 75 pounds. Here's what I want to say to you this morning, church. See, the Bible doesn't give a specific place where there was a conversation where he invited Christ to be his Lord and Savior, but here's what I believe. See, Jesus' ministry lasted three and a half years, and then he was on that cross he was hanging, he was suffering, and Nicodemus was there. And I believe that Nicodemus was not there with the other Sanhedrins. I believe that the Sanhedrins were back in their offices in Jerusalem, not caring. But I believe that, Joseph, or that Nicodemus was there because Jesus was his Savior. He was not there hurling insults at Jesus, but he helped him and one other man took Jesus' body down from that cross. And ceremonially, he offered what was ceremonially the way to handle the death. 
and he offered it, and he cleaned Jesus' body, and he embalmed him, and he found a proper burial. He was there the whole way. And I believe that that's what Jesus did in his heart. He came to Jesus as a skeptic, but he buried his Savior. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I believe, turn with me if you can to Ephesians chapter 2 as the band makes her way. And we're going to close. We're going to sing a song and close. You see, I believe in this room that there's many, many, many people and you have come to a place in your life where you know that you at one point, whether you were 35, 10, 14, 60, 80, doesn't matter. But you're sitting here today when you heard this teaching, the Holy Spirit testified, you know you're saved. You know that when you take your last breath, that you will go home and you will be with your Lord and Savior for eternity because you had a spiritual awakening. The Holy Spirit came in and lived inside of you. And I don't know if you know this, but Ephesians chapter 2 is an incredible celebration passage for all of you that have received Jesus Christ. And I want to read it to you, and I want, it, I want you to leave here with such an incredible peace, knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. And this is what Ephesians says. If you're not there, just listen. First three words, as for you. Just say, that's me. That was weak. As for you, that's me. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but, say but, I love that word. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. You see, that's the anthem of the Christian. That's who you are if you received him. But I also believe that perhaps maybe there's someone in this room or someone listening online to my voice right now. And maybe after you heard this teaching, you said, you know, maybe I never got on the Jesus train. Maybe I've realized that I'm fearful of dying because the truth of the matter is, I don't remember a time that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you and you're listening, I'm gonna have the band play a song and here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you just to listen to these words and just have that conversation and just say to yourself, Holy Spirit, come in and make me aware that I need to be saved because I don't really know if I am. And then what I'm gonna have you do after the song is, if that's you, you know, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now I know it's not night, but he came to Jesus in privacy and he had this conversation. And if that's you and you're here this morning and you realize that you are not saved, then while everybody's running over each other to go out to lunch, you stay back and you come and you find me. We can have a conversation. I'll stay here all afternoon because you matter to God. Have that conversation with me. 
We will have prayer partners up here. They already know to come up. And we will just have that conversation. And just perhaps maybe you can join the family of God if that's you.